training is around supporting client transitions from FSP utilizing CTI, which is a critical time intervention. It's an evidence-based practice. And so we'll be discussing more about if you have questions right now, you're thinking, what the heck is that? What is she talking about? We're going to definitely make sure that we dive into unpacking and defining what the critical time intervention is. Um, so before we get into that, just a couple of disclaimers here. As you can see on the title screen here, um, what's emphasized is that we're supporting client transitions from FSP. So I saw once again, few people who are with different orgs and agencies that aren't with FSP, don't worry, you are still in the right place. I am Danielle Cameron and I am a trainer with the DMH-UCLA Public Mental Health Partnership. Um, some of you who joined on might've had the opportunity to see a little bit of our intro slides, which um, just talk about more about what we do with DMH-UCLA's Public Mental Health Partnership. But in case you didn't have that opportunity and in case you're wondering why I specifically emphasized FSP on the title screen, um, one of our big, and, and definitely fruitful partnerships is supporting our DMH FSP programs. And so once again, we're in the world of virtual training, Zoom land. Um, and so please note that even if you aren't from FSP, you are still in the right place as long as you work in the field of social services in LA County. And with that said, um, more about me, right? I'm sure you all want to know, well, why is she here and what's she, <laughs> what she doing with this training? So as I mentioned, I'm Danielle Cameron. I'm a social worker myself. I'm currently registered with the board pursuing clinical licensure. And a lot of my background is around clinical case management, as well as intake coordination and intake assessments. I have done a lot of my service in the field for the past four or five years with transitional age youth who have been formerly impacted by the juvenile justice system, um, as well as were formerly in the foster care system. And so um, one of the highlights of my, my career thus far has been supporting transitional housing um, through a housing first model. And it was in that work that I uncovered the critical time intervention approach, which is a case management intervention um, just with a different name, but it's also specifically centered around supporting clients transition from care. And um, with the nature of transitional housing programs, which some of you might be familiar with, um, the word is in the title, right? Transition. So um, I uncovered the critical time intervention approach in my work with supporting the young adults in that particular housing program and um, really wanted to be intentional around adding a component to our programming that specifically focused and honed in on case management purely for clients transitioning or within a time frame of um, hitting a planned transition. Of course, unplanned transitions happen, um, but assuming that clients were successfully on track to exiting from the program, 
Um, I wanted to ensure that we were directly supporting these clients because um, with transitions um, that were successful into permanent and stable housing, um, as you all know, it's um, something that can slip through the cracks. And so it's my hopes that today, um, after this training, you'll be able to also draw from the spirit of the critical time intervention to support successful client transitions from your programs. As I mentioned, I utilize this approach through the lens of supporting transitional housing clients, um, but transitions um, with the critical time intervention approach can encompass a variety of, of program um, disenrollments, which we'll talk about for sure. Um, so this is also, a part two, so to say, I don't know if some of you had the opportunity to sit on the training that was conducted a couple weeks back by my colleague, Elizabeth Bromley, around recovery-oriented transitions. Um, but please note, um, if you did, then this is a part two, so to say, of that um, leg of her training. If you weren't able to make her training, no problem at all. I included a couple of refresher slides in this segment so that we are all in sync. Um, but we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, please note that along the way, if there's any questions that come up, um, throw them in the chat and um, go ahead. I'll make sure that the chat screen is up on my end too, so I can be mindful of that as we go along. So let's get started here. So as mentioned, um, we're going to definitely be talking about CTI. And so our objectives today are to describe what is the critical time intervention model? What does that encompass? Um, we're going to outline some effective strategies in the critical time intervention work. Um, for the purposes of making that sound easier, <laughs> as you see the acronym CTI on the screen, I will be referring to the critical time intervention as CTI. Just wanted to throw that FYI then. And so uh, our next objective here is we're going to identify ways to utilize elements of CTI in FSP programming. Once again, if you're not a part of an FSP contracted agency, no worries. If you're in the field of social services in LA County, you're still in the right place. Uh, next up here, we're going to practice implementing elements of CTI with a couple of client scenarios. So I'll really be leaning on and depending on a lot of your participation. Once again, it'll primarily just be utilized in the chat and on Google Jamboard. So um, we'll definitely have some interactive components here. And last objective, we're just gonna learn from one another. Uh, participation, strongly, highly encouraged. I really want this to be an opportunity for your voice to be included throughout as much as this training as possible. So we're gonna go ahead and continue on here. And Diving right into that engagement and participation components, how and why do your clients leave FSP? Once again, if you're not a part of an FSP program, no worries. You can just substitute FSP for how and why do clients leave your agency? Um, and so go ahead 
and just throw those um, responses in the chat for me. I'd love to see what you got here and see if we're on the same page. So I have meeting goals. Yep. Meeting treatment goals of discharge. Discouraged. That's an interesting um, lens on that. Definitely lack of resources. Aged out. Yes. Ready for lower level of care. Yes. Goals again. Yep. Yep. To transition to a lower level of care again. Nice. Once housed, not interested in other goals. Ooh, that's a big component. Definitely. Moved out of the area. Right, right. Court case closes. No longer meets the criteria. Yep. Lack of contact or met goals. Step down. Lack of resources. Again, demonstrated achievement goals. Again, yes. No money to pay for services. Interesting, interesting. Link to other community supports. And we're denied services. Okay, we have... Oh, due to substance abuse, right, right. May need IND, right. Incarcerated, that's a huge one as well. So essentially conservatorship, also a big one, yeah, yeah. End of probation, yeah, yeah. Deceased, another large one. I love how you all are definitely touching on literally every reason um, and, and I guess possibility, so to say, as to why someone would be disenrolled, why someone would, uh, a client, excuse me, would leave a program. AWOLD, hospitalized, yeah, definitely. Legal records limit access to supportive service. Mm, interesting. Okay and deported here. Wow. Yep. Yep. So we have some planned transitions, it sounds like, and then we have unplanned transitions. Um, too many changes in providers that cause them to become disengaged. Ooh, that's a big one. Transition to higher level of care, AOT, for example. Sure, sure. Right. So we have transitions to either higher level of care or transitions to a lower level of care that you all have mentioned. So thanks so much. Um, I wanted to get a pulse, moved away. Yeah, definitely another, another um, I guess, maybe plan for them, but unplanned for treatment service and treatment planning. Inconsistent participation. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. So um, thank you for sharing. Um, once again, I just wanted to norm us. Let's, you know, get a, I wanted to, excuse me, get a pulse around. Where are we in terms of our clients um, disenrollment and our clients, um, you know, um, yeah, leaving from our programs? What does that look like? Um, and, and, you know, some agencies work around different treatment goals and others. And so naturally the nature of these answers and responses um, are definitely going to vary across the board. So I appreciate you all. Thank you. And so once again, um, as I mentioned before, this training um, is really tailored for our DMH contracted agencies and orgs. If you're not, once again, you're still in the same place. I'm pretty sure that you could apply this um, to your own orgs and agencies, um, systems and protocols of um, client exits and disenrollments. But with the lens of um, looking at clients within our FSP orgs, um, essentially, you all spoke into it, right? 
Um, I wanted to throw up on the screen here pretty much um, the own, you know, the, uh, excuse me, practices and protocols purely from DMH and what that looks like. And so from the DMH uh, disenrollment form, client has met all treatment goals. Client doesn't need intensive level of services anymore. For example, maybe the team feels that the client is no longer benefiting from the services they're receiving, or the team feels that the client refuses to take advantage of services, which I did see um, in the chat. Um, as well, on the disenrollment form, we have client decided to leave the program. So on their own side, maybe they moved away, like someone mentioned, um, or client cannot be located. I saw a few AWOLs in there. And I definitely saw client has moved to a higher level of care. And so the arrows here um, represent what we're going to kind of hone in on today. Um, and these areas of different options as to why clients will leave programs uh, focus on the providers having a more active role in, in client exits as compared to um, client exit, such as maybe the client can't be located, right, in which the provider has a more passive role. And so in today's training, the transitions where the provider has an active role, um, such as client meeting treatment goals, not needing an intensive level, a high intensive level of services anymore, um, or moving to a higher level of care. Um, these are all areas, right, where the provider plays an important role and guiding the client to and through the transition. And so it's those areas that we're really gonna focus on today and talk about how you can adapt the model of CTI, critical time intervention, into these um, more prepared transitions, so to say. And so in the spirit of talking about, we you know definitely discuss reasons why clients leave. Um, and so when we, put on that lens again around clients where the transition is expected, anticipated. Um, how, I'm curious, once again, throw it in the chat. How does your agency uh, assess transition readiness? Is there a team approach to these decisions? Is it, well, I don't wanna give any more context, but <laughs> just uh, throw in the chat. How is it that you all assess when your clients um, are ready for transition? Nice. I see a team approach here. Teams present the clients in team meetings using a utilization report. Awesome. Team approach. Great, great. Meetings to review goals. Discuss progress in a meeting with case managers, social workers, psychiatrists. Great, great start giving advice instead of asking when a client is housed. Okay, that's a big indicator. Team assessment, team approach, discussing the progress with the family, nice. An interdisciplinary approach influenced by adherence to deadlines and mandates, sure, definitely. That's great. I am, that's music to my ears to hear that there is definitely a team approach and talking about the clients that we service, outcomes, but not really, LOL. I'm assuming maybe uh, assessing if clients have met outcomes, um, although that may not be the case in, in every situation. 
client-centered advocacy or measuring the client's ability to have uh, reached a level of advocacy, self-advocacy maybe, or maybe advocating as a team on behalf of that client. Feel free to correct me in the chat. <laughs> but awesome. These are all great uh, approaches, especially considering the interdisciplinary approach, right? And utilizing team meetings and team spaces to consider, um, let's, you know, discuss our where we're at in progress with our clients. Um, I recognize that at some points, sometimes clients end up sitting on a caseload a little bit longer than um, they need to be. Um, and it's important for sure to kind of regularly and frequently come together and discuss, you know, progress status, and maybe our clients are ready for a transition at this point. The team is advocating for the client based on their needs and meeting them where they're at. Great, great. So we were on the same page a little bit there. Awesome. And so some markers of readiness uh, for transition. Um, and this is a refresher from Elizabeth's uh, training a couple weeks ago on um, recovery-oriented transitions. Um, and so straight from Elizabeth, she identified some markers of readiness, which includes stabilization of illness symptoms, involvement in meaningful activities such as education, getting a job, social activities, volunteering, living in the least restrictive housing environment possible. I did notice that someone did include housing in the chat as a, an identifier that a client's ready for transition out of a certain level of care. And then lastly, we have the ability to independently attend to mental and physical health follow-up. So basically uh, recognizing that, hey, client is able to, uh, at this point, self-advocate, uh, self-link to certain um, supports to continue their own mental and physical health and well-being. Um, and so any others um, by any chance? Um, does anybody have anything else to add to this? Are we all in agreement? You can use a thumbs up. You can put yes in the chat if this pretty much sums it up and you're in agreement. And I'm going to respond with number three, meaning recognizing client would benefit from a lower level of care. Yes, so living in a least restrictive housing environment. So that is one example for sure of identifying, okay, a client at this point um, maybe is, um, has been maybe in sober living, but maybe that doesn't, uh, maybe they've been there for like six to 12 months and they are, um, they have, you know, reached a, a place of self-sufficiency with their sobriety, with their recovery, and they no longer need that, that type of programming. So that's one example of going into a, a lower level of care. Um, and just with the, with this particular example of markers of readiness, it's just a more specific um, example centered around housing. And folks agree. Okay, thank you with the um, markers of transition um, here on the, the slide. If independent living skills is relative when working with high level of chronic mental illness. Correct. So I think um, essentially what you're acknowledging is um, how individualized um, our work with our clients is and that it really does depend on what type of 
level of care that they, they fall under in regards to their mental health um, treatment goals. Correct. Okay, cool. Glad we're on the same page here, but yes, you are right. Um, And which is, you know, definitely important for continuing that spirit of team um, and interdisciplinary approaches um, because all of our clients hold completely individualized different sets of needs and scopes of needs. And it requires um, an all hands on deck kind of approach in most cases. So thank you for acknowledging that. All right. So how do you all support clients with a successful program disenrollment? So essentially when you've gotten to, I'll go back, you've addressed in your team meeting spaces. Okay. um, I'm just going to use a random name here. Martha is, um, it seems to be, has um, met a lot of her treatment goals. Um, We stabilized a lot of her initial presenting mental health symptoms. And so um, it looks like she's ready to be transitioned to a lower level of care. What's the approach? Who, what role do you play? I should ask that in supporting your clients with uh, achieving that, that transition from your, your program uh, successfully. What is that? What is a successful program disenrollment um, look like in terms of you all's direct support with that? How do you support that? Um, And I want to actually use the Jamboard here to get some of your feedback. So we have follow-up survey and making sure that the client has met all short-term goals. Awesome. And we have some documentation um, collection, making sure that the clients at least have those basic pertinent documents. So great. Great measure right there. Aftercare follow-up and community resources help. Love that. We're going to touch on that. So thank you. Transition plans. Awesome. Awesome. It starts with a conversation regarding with what the change entails. Yes, definitely. Termination planning and meeting held with the team. Awesome. Highlighting to my client, all goals are met and has been consistent with follow through. Also linkage to wellness and provide resources for ADLs, activity daily livings. Yep. Plan of section, maintaining focus on the person's strengths and growth. Oh, I love that. The preparation is ongoing throughout the service delivery process. Definitely worth. Prior to disenrollment, there's several planning meetings to address achievement of goals and input from a team and client, then transition support and a follow-up meeting, as well as additional community resources. Amazing. It sounds like that you all have a very intentional approach to supporting these transitions or um, program exits. Action, review success, review coping skills, definitely highlight success with linkages. I love that. Reviewing coping skills for sure. Consulting with the team and review consumer and family progress. Wow, and present to the family transition plan. Yeah, include, right, those supports, the family being a major one, in some cases for certain clients. Yep. 
full recognition of their accomplishments by reaching their goals and linkage to community resources. Definitely disenrollment is a result, but not the focus outcome. Sure. Symptoms resolution, yes. And reestablishing ADL function is the best indicator of readiness for disenrollment. Well said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Strengths perspective approach. Highlighting what they have achieved, yeah. And linking them to the resources they have found supportive. And following up, yes, absolutely. Family needs to be in agreement, right? In, in order for it to be successful, family should be in agreement with the transition plan. Wow, this is awesome. Um, thank you all once again for participating. It helps me establish a baseline too of uh, who I'm speaking to, where are we at in terms of how we approach these transitions uh, from our various places and spaces of work. Um, and then hopefully if there um, you know, are any components that folks are throwing in this chat here that you see are um, things that you want to implement. Um, I hope that you're also able to take away to some of these ideas. Um, I'm very much a collaborative trainer. We learn from each other kind of approach. And so um, I definitely love that. I feel that we have a virtual room full of experts here. So um, really appreciate y'all for engaging. And lastly, discuss how the client and family plans to maintain the current success of the client. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it seems like a lot of the elements of CTI are definitely inherently in your work. You all are doing exactly what the essence of the critical time intervention model um, recommends and um, keep doing what you're doing. And I'm just going to actually continue on here with talking a little bit more, a little bit more, excuse me, about what CTI is. Um, and maybe there are certain elements that you find, hey, okay, I want to incorporate that into our existing models. Or maybe there's some elements that you identify and you're able to kind of check them all off the list. Like, wow, we already do this. Um, and so, you know, that's great as well. Each one, teach one. <laughs> so CTI, what is the critical time intervention model? It is a time limited form of case management that focuses on helping people with SMI, severe mental illness, and or a history of homelessness during a critical time of a transitional period in their lives. CTI facilitates community integration and continuity of care by ensuring that a person has enduring ties to their community and support systems during these critical periods. Examples of support can fall under both a formal and an informal category i.e. for formal supports, that's professional contacts, such as community mental health clinics and substance abuse treatment programs. Um, and then for informal, we have church groups, food banks, maybe clients, friends um, as well. And a co core component, excuse me, of CTI is that linkages that are established are ultimately fundamental to the success of the intervention overall. CTI, as we'll talk about, um, and as we touched on a little bit, is all about what are the linkages and external supports that we can connect the client to while they're still in our care that will continue that client's with overall success 
and achievements um, once exiting our care. Also notable about CTI is that this evidence-based practice has been applied with all types of populations, including veterans, people with mental illness, people who have been homeless or in prison, and many other vulnerable groups. So as touched on a little bit, CTI is case management, right, which is why so much of your responses um, to the questions that I posed already speak into essences of the CTI model. You all are doing the work and you're already essentially doing CTI <laughs> um, intervention, so to say. Um, the difference um, from critical time intervention and traditional case management is reflected in the next couple of slides here. So when we think about traditional case management, we have a model that's client-centered, of course, right? where it's very comprehensive. You are working on goals around all the things, family, housing, substance use, food, or let's just say access to food, um, mental health needs, um, money, employment, medical needs, spirituality, social activities or leisure activities, right? So it's comprehensive, but it's not focused, um, so to say. It's like the grab all at, um, you know, the client-centered approach. Um, unlike traditional case management, CTI is a bit more focused and it's focused um, around needs that are limited to areas for what are the areas of need that are specifically essential for a client's successful transition. And so those identified areas are recommended identified areas for successful uh, transition uh, fall under housing, healthcare, that family social network, which you all definitely spoke into a lot, mental health, so continuing uh, as needed, mental health or substance use treatment, living skills, and benefits slash finances, right? Benefits being SSI, um, EBT, GR, things like that, okay? And to sum up the core components of the CTI model here, we can conceptualize it in this way, that it's focused, recovery-oriented, community-based, and has a team approach. And so focused, meaning this particular model, uh, the, the case management intervention is specific to addressing a period of transition. That's purely what the intervention is focused on achieving, right? It's time limited. So the model according to Fidelity has about a six to nine month uh, core time of working with clients. In uh, the way that I adapted it at the program, the housing program that I worked with, um, in all honesty, nine months was <laughs> a, a dream, um, but not always realistic. And so we used about a, a three to six month kind of approach um, with the youth that we supported. Um, it's also phased approach with targeted goals. So just like those differences between um, the case, traditional case management model versus CTI case management model, this is a lot more targeted, right? And your caseloads are smaller. So um, 
going back to the model, according to fidelity, if you were running it based off purely off of how it um, is, how the intervention is recommended, um, that this particular intervention has specific um, job roles and job functions, um, doing specific things like there's a CTI specific case manager. Um, but I recognize that that's not always feasible, realistic, right, for where we work. And anyone essentially can take on the spirit and, and adapt the components of this model into your work um, with your with your clients, much as you have already spoken into, honestly, in the chat that you've been doing. However, obviously, not all of our clients on a caseload are transitioning at the same time, right? And so your caseload, so your focus of um, utilizing CTI uh, will naturally be with a smaller focused population of your clients as compared to your whole caseload. Okay, I hope that made sense. I said a lot of words. <laughs> so going on to the next component here, we have it is recovery oriented. So a lot of this model leans into using approaches that you more than likely already do. It's a harm reduction based approach, trauma informed, um, and it's adaptable to different transitions, populations, and cultures. And then as we'll discuss in a little bit, this intervention decreases intensity over time, meaning as your clients move through these phases, um, the idea is that you as the main arm of support um, decrease some of your, your uh, intensity of, of clients um, treatment programming over these phases so that the goal is to continue to increase the client's um, self-sufficiency overall. Another component here, so under community-based, um, continuity of care is high, of course, in terms of what this model's focus is on. We want to make sure that linkages and connecting to long-term supports are indeed happening, right? And there's no early discharge. So pretty much the goal is um, to support clients where you have planned transitions, planned exits, planned disenrollments. Um, and this model is not ideal or recommended or feasible to work with, you know, folks who um, maybe are have suddenly moved. Of course, you wouldn't be able to implement this um, uh, type of model, right? And then lastly here, we have team approach, um, which you all uh, spoke into when you assess uh, readiness of your clients. It is an interdisciplinary approach. And this model also uh, is um, encompasses that as well as a part of one of the core components. So why CTI? Why is this um, intervention helpful? Um, basically, as we know, our clients have a complex interaction of biocycle social needs. Um, and that complex interaction of those needs results in folks being pretty vulnerable during, you know, periods of transition, as I know you all can attest to, right? Um, in a lot of cases, our client's social connections are in deficit. Uh, also, it's difficult, <laughs> even um, as a provider, to sometimes navigate our, our service system. Um, and it can be confusing and frustrating. And at times too, as we all know, especially in the county of Los Angeles, where housing resources um, are limited, um, other resources um, 
in such a large and competitive county are also pretty limited. So it can be, you know, imagine your client's needs and what they're working against and them having to figure this out on their own, right? Or accessing those resources on their own. And lastly, as we touched on a few times, CTI can be used for a multitude of different types of transitions. Okay, so ultimately, it just helps support um, the work and what you are currently doing, right? And uh, I can appreciate that much of you have regularly, you know, um, scheduled kind of meetings with your teams where you discuss your your caseloads um, and your clients' readiness for transition in those meetings. Um, and in some places and spaces, sometimes that doesn't always happen. And transition planning with clients can get lost in a day-to-day of crisis or case management, pressing case management needs. And so it's just helpful to keep in mind, um, even at the front end of working with clients, um, what's the goal of transition for this particular person? And ultimately, what is the nature of the transition, right? Where are you trying to help get the client from and to? And that's what CTI can support with. Okay, and as mentioned, CTI is a phase-based approach um, lasting from around, you know, the ambitious (laughs) time marker here of a six to nine month kind of planned approach, which is, you know, if if thought out, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be able to do it, but recognizing that in some cases um, you just don't have the the capacity within your organization structure to maybe work on um, just around transitions for like a nine month period. But um, once again, suggested timeframes, ultimately I would emphasize really looking at um, the phases and and keeping those um, phases in mind as a part of your your intervention approach with supporting clients through a transition. On this model, you will see here at the front end, right, that there's pre-CTI, which includes building the relationship. And so this is according to the scale, uh, or excuse me, the model itself and how it was designed um, to be implemented with the assumption that there is a designated CTI team all on its own. And in that case, when there's this designated CTI team, um, the case manager would just be operating with a client um, and navigating um, the client transition with this model. And so the assumption is that they are just meeting the client for the first time and building rapport and relationship. Um, But presumably, of course, where um, you all are at, where I was at when I implemented or adapted some of this model into the work I did, the relationship had already been there. So you can just, in most cases, ignore this part of the phase here. Um, But ultimately, you know, there's these three phases. Um, And so phase one is your transition for the first couple months, um, where you're really doing a transition planning. And um, I saw that some folks did touch on that and talk about that in the chat. Um, phase two is the tryout, so to say. And so that's when you're doing some modeling of uh, connecting clients with different uh, community supports. Um, tryouts um, can also include, um, goodness, going out with your client to uh, in the community and, and linking um, or introducing, excuse me, 
them to um, an agency in the community that can, can continue to be a linkage of support for them. And then lastly, you have phase three, which is transfer of care. And essentially, um, transfer of care is, um, as folks mentioned, um, sitting with the family of the client and reviewing the transition plan, allowing, allowing the family to speak into that transition plan um, and, and discharge planning, ultimately. What's most important, um, just keep in mind that this is a time and phase-based approach, um, basically. And so, um, like I said, timeframes recommended. Um, but not you don't have to feel pressured to follow them exactly to the T, make it make sense uh, for your client, for your agency. And so within each phase, there's three phases. The CTI model is best utilized with a goal focused, targeted approach, right? With no more than three goals in a phase. And so here's an example of pretty much what we can anticipate for any client's kind of three most pressing goals within a transition. Um, those are, you know, around family or social support um, linkages, housing, of course, and then, you know, finances and, and benefits, right? And so um, please keep in mind, you don't have to necessarily have three goals um, per phase. Um, it can be up to three. So it can be maybe just have one goal. Uh, maybe it's maybe family and benefits are checked off, but housing is the is the point of emphasis for that particular client's transition, then that would be it. And, um, you know, you can also repeat and re-implement these same goals across each phase. You don't uh, necessarily have to come up with new goals as you continue to move through the phases. If the client uh, and yourself haven't reached the goal yet, then carry it on into the into from transition phase, so phase one, to tryout, phase two, if necessary. And so now we're going to go into a little bit more detail here about what each phase entails and um, suggested frameworks um, to consider for each phase. Um, these are, once again, um, very suggestive as to, you know, assuming what all needs our clients have when they're in a transition period. But once again, um, maybe it might not be applicable. And um, there's, you know, once again, just a, a strong encouragement to focus around one to three goals per phase. But under phase one transition, some suggested frameworks here are to provide support and begin to connect the client to people and agencies that will assume the primary role of support. Engage in collaborative assessments. So meaning engaging a client with different types of needs assessments. Uh, social supports assessments or identifying what social supports does that client have, which I have a slide after this that can um, break that up in a, in a way, a different type of lens in case you want to look at that a little bit more. We have meeting with existing natural supports and providers, so maybe the family, um, and introducing the clients uh, to new supports. And lastly, giving support and advice to clients and caregivers. This can also include maybe mediating some conflicts if they exist between client and, and caregiver, client and family member. 
So all of these activities presumably fall under the first phase. These are suggestions, ways to think about as you are doing your existing work, um, how to implement a phase-based kind of time-based approach. Here's an example uh, of how to conceptualize different connections to resources that your client either may have or may not have. And you can use this kind of model. Um, I know that I've used different kind of like worksheets um, with clients that I've had um, just to visually kind of map out and help them assess um, who do I have strong relationships with? Who do I have challenging relationships with? Um, where are relationships impaired? So of course, which I'm sure you all know, it's traditional kind of case management, um, you know, practices here. But with the um, within the arm of phase one, where you're trying to support your client in assessing what are their needs, where are their challenges, and let's assess um, where they stand with in terms of being connected to the community. This is just one way to help um, kind of approach that, right? So um, you can assess what type of formal connections does the client have, what type of informal connections do they have, um, where are their broken connections at, and what's worked and what hasn't within those relationships or connections. And then uh, I love this area, unwanted connections, um, because there are in certain you know instances just connections to um, different, it could be a family member, could be a, a, um, a community agency that client has been linked to before that they had a terrible experience with. But the idea is that we really want to, you know, ensure that we're getting as much of the client's voice um, into this, you know, assessment process because they're going to be the ones driving um, post-discharge, right? So we want to make sure that whatever we are being um, helpful in terms of linking them to, that it's actually realistic um, in terms of who they will continue to access once they are no longer on your caseload. And so for phase two, this is the tryout phase. So some suggested activities under tryout are to monitor and strengthen a support network and the client's skills, help modify the support network as necessary. So maybe adding more support or maybe um, checking support off the list that, okay, maybe that's not needed anymore. And then as we mentioned, right, the goal is to decrease the intensity of the case manager as the lead of the client's kind of transition plan over time. So at phase two, you're going to start encouraging your client, hey, it's time, you know, let's look at ways that you can take on um, a more hands-on approach in, in accessing um, the support that you need. And then phase three, the transfer of care. So here, is where you'll terminate services um, with support networks safely in place, you're stepping back more so that um, you are able to ensure that your client and the supports can function independently, right, without you. So I'll go back a little bit. Uh, phase two, we're still playing like that intermediary middleman, making sure that we're introducing our client um, to different uh, community um, linkages and and then also offering you know yourself as the point of contact um, on behalf of the client and then as we get into phase three 
Um, this is where you completely kind of start, you know, removing yourself as that point of contact um, and in monitoring and assessing how how well is the client able to independently access the level of care that they need. And maybe, you know, that can be a goal if you recognize, OK, this is still an area of need to help this person with, then um, at least it's identified before you, you know, discharge. Right. You also at this uh, phase are developing and beginning the initiation of long term goals, holding meetings with the client and client supports um, to mark the final transfer of care. So this is um, where you would have like wrap up meetings with maybe like family members um, to ensure that everyone's on the same page with the client's transition plan and the roles that folks are playing. And lastly, um, we're going to meet with the client to review progress that's been made. Uh, that was mentioned earlier, um, addressing one of the questions I asked. Um, but this is where you're going to remind client of their strengths um, and, and have that opportunity to reflect on how well the client um, has done and what goals around treatment uh, the client has successfully accomplished. Right. So this is you can think of this phase um, also as like your warm handoff phase, basically. And we already touched on this, um, but the, the main scheme of the, the different phases um, is that they're targeted, right, to the most pressing goals. As we said, just one of three goals identified per phase um, that can be updated as needed. Maybe it's a continued goal throughout, maybe housing stays throughout each phase. That definitely have been my case when I supported clients around this area. And um, also... Um, I don't think I mentioned this before. Um, you might do this anyway, in case you don't. Um, this particular model is, is best um, achievable, or I should say, has the best outcomes um, when you're completing the goals with the client themselves. So letting the client speak into um, for each phase, you know, what particular goals they identify as are, you know, the most pressing um, and most applicable to what their needs are. Yeah, of course. More importantly, the client needs to feel ready to, to transition, excuse me. Right, right. And so hopefully with intentional transition planning, um, with taking some of these, uh, you know, uh, ad adapting some of these suggestions from CTI, that will help with the client's um, kind of like self-autonomy of feeling like, okay, I, I am, you know, definitely feeling that I'm able to complete this successfully. I'm ready for this phase of life now. And so just a general question out here, um, do you all see similarities um, and or differences from your current existing treatment plans um, with as compared to the CTI models? So um, I ask this just because sometimes, you know, we're duplicating efforts here and that's not the goal. <laughs> I like to just find where are kind of gaps in terms of um, interventions that I'm using with my clients. Um, and let me find out, you know, ways that I can help fill in those gaps. Um, but I'm just curious, um, if you all recognize that maybe what you're doing is already in alignment with the treatment plans that you use, um, or maybe there's some things that, um, are takeaways that aren't necessarily in alignment from those treatment plans. So you can go ahead and throw that in the chat and see, we have a comment here at the end of the program met um, will a client be rewarded oh 
Awesome. Uh, so to ask um, pretty much, so will there be some type of um, incentive, reward, acknowledgement um, once client has disenrolled from program? Um, it depends, honestly, on whatever your agency <laughs> kind of adapts and has in place. Um, a part of this particular intervention Yes, there is. It is encouraged to have, they identified it as like a client graduation, um, but um, depends on the place and space, right, of course, of, of where you're working at, but it is encouraged under CTI. Um, I know in the program, the housing program that I was at, we did do um, actually literally a graduation um, for the young adults that completed the program, um, and it was um, a ceremony. Um, some of them may not have been able to attend their high school graduation um, and may not have a formal opportunity to have done that in their lives. So um, our way of acknowledging that they met, you know, their um, they achieved their program, excuse me, treatment goals was to hold like a formal graduation ceremony, definitely. But yeah, we. I'll move on. I don't see anyone addressing um, if they recognize any similarities or differences um, as compared to their treatment plans that they use. Um, so no worries, we'll move on. Okay, outsourcing for resources is encouraged for client treatment plans. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know in a space that I worked at, that was a part of... Um, the goals each quarter was to have identified um, at least two to three uh, referrals, um, successful referrals, I should say, on behalf of the client um, on a quarterly basis. So I can see that being a part of treatment plans, definitely. All right, next question up here. Uh, how do you all see adapting this model into your existing discharge planning. So what have any ideas come to mind so far about ways that um, you would like to take this back to the work that you're doing? Um, as mentioned, for me, I know that I did not use this model to the T, um, but there were ideas that I was able to lean from it. Um, for me, it was using the phase-based and kind of time-focused approach um, and really conceptualizing a specific case management intervention just around transitions. Yeah, having those connections from different spas as well. Yep, yep. Super important. <laughs> Please share this model with us to share with our teams. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, some of you might be familiar. Um, we have a learning management system. Um, it's an online pretty much uh, tool where all of our trainings are posted. And um, Janice Brainbridge, um, which was someone we partnered up with externally, she actually did, I think it's about a six hour long um CTI training that's available on that website. I did include that as a link in a slide of resources for you all. So you can feel free to check that out too. 
All right. So as you all have been doing, um, which is meeting as a, as a team and having a team center approach to um, helping your clients transition. Um, these are just some recommendations um, that you can take or leave, but in those team meeting spaces, it's encouraged to have, you know, specifically on your agenda, just a time and space to talk about um, your clients who are transition ready. Right. And so um, in those spaces, can utilize the opportunity to share and develop ideas for new community connections. Um, sharing out resources um, is super beneficial um, as well from folks, you know, who have actually established some type of partnership or relationship with someone and, and can then provide that for the rest of the team to support their clients. Uh, gather input to address problems. So, you know, utilize one another for problem solving, course sharing progress about how the client's transitions are going or transition plans are going, right? And then as a team, as you all mentioned, um, which you do, utilizing that interdisciplinary approach to assess the transition readiness of your cases. All right, so for the fun part, case scenarios. All right, so you'll see in the chat, I have a series of questions here. Um, you can glance at that now while I'm reading about uh, Katie's scenario, and then we'll talk about it. So Katie, a client of the FSP program, has achieved many treatment goals and has made a lot of progress with the FSP program. She used to be homeless. She didn't know that she was HIV positive, and she exhibited delusions of grandiosity. Now her delusions are well under control with a monthly injection. And she's aware of her HIV status. She's even taking medications, which have made her HIV undetectable. However, Katie's been feeling frustrated every time the case manager talks about program disenrollment. Sure, we can all relate in some way, shape, or form to that. And so first question, uh, what category of disenrollment would Katie fall under? And you can literally type in A, B, or C here. So A, has Katie met all treatment goals? B, maybe Katie doesn't need an intensive level of services anymore. Or C, Katie has moved to a higher level of care. What do you all think? Got a couple A's, got a couple B's for sure. More A's, more B's. Okay. So the consensus is between A and B, and I definitely agree. And sometimes that is the case. Um, a client can fall under achievement of both meeting treatment goals. And then, of course, that inherently means that they don't necessarily need that level of intensive care services anymore. So I definitely agree with everybody here. Thanks so much, y'all, for throwing that in there. And second question here. What all do you identify as the needs or problems that Katie has? So at this moment, we've identified, okay, Katie's met her treatment goals. Um, she doesn't need our high level of care anymore. However, there are a couple of things. Maybe she still has some needs. Maybe there's still some, some problems to address here. Anxiety. Sure, mental trauma, she needs community. Definitely. 
CBT. I could see that being a helpful intervention for her. Needs anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Attachment. Oh, like attachment to the worker. Informal supports. Yep. More supports. Yeah. Natural supports, mental health, age appropriate activities. Yeah, ah, got tongue tied. Motivational interviewing approach. Uh, I forgot to mention that, uh, of course, um, under CTI, uh, we talked about different um, recovery oriented approaches, harm reduction, trauma informed care, but motivational interviewing also falls under that as well, definitely. She's afraid to transition to the next level. Yeah, we have some fear, right? This anxiety. Yep, some case management still needed. Not as intense, but still needed. And developing problem-solving skills to feel more secure in managing her responsibilities. Nice. I love that. Developing problem-solving skills. Yeah. Awesome. And what about... Now, this the third question... Um, I'll read it out loud first. Do some so do some of these problems or needs seem more pressing or important than others? Uh, in parentheses, I have here in both your opinion and hers. Now, of course, <laughs> we don't have a Katie in real time, but uh, I just wanted to have that for consideration for your practical application with your clients to once again, right, include them into what they identify as their own needs and how do they rank those needs. Um, so something we won't be answering on behalf of Katie um, today, so you can ignore that part. But do some of the needs or problems that you identified seem more pressing or important than others? And what are those? Which ones would you say? are more important or more pressing, or I'll say urgent than other needs. Yes, health, definitely. Her physical health, right? Okay, so we got health ranking in here, problem solving skills ranking in here. Yeah. What's pressing is acknowledging her current health. Coping skills. But yes, time frame um, would be a pertinent part of including um, some type of reference so that you can thoroughly have a, a better assessment of some of Katie's um, most pressing um, concerns and um, issues. So um, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging and addressing that. Um, and I meant to also include that as a question. I didn't, but I meant to include what's missing from this vignette information wise. So thank you for that. Um, and so back to, let's see, summarizing what we got here. So essentially I saw a lot of um, physical health, but as well as mental health that um, as Lorraine says, both physical and mental health as one can impact the other for sure. Um, and so health is like a top um, area of, um, of a need to address. And then in addition to that, connections and coping skills, uh, most certainly. Yeah, especially because um, she's having some attachment issues here. Um, finding emotional support. Oh, we have self-efficacy. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So I can see definitely a consensus here um, around some thematic like pressing needs. So 
great. I'm in agreement with everybody. Definitely. And uh, number four here, do some of these areas of need seem easier than others to address? So if you were supporting, no, <laughs> right. <laughs> you were supporting her with any, um, would you be able to rank, I guess, um, needs that are easier to address versus maybe a um, little bit more challenging? Okay, I'll give folks a couple more seconds. All challenging, but accomplishable, yeah. All right, what about strengths? What strengths do you observe that Katie has? Mm, adherence, sure. So treatment adherence, right? Following through on her medical needs, perseverance. She's housed, yes. Big, big strength. Consistency and compliance. Overall compliance. Yeah, med compliant, right, right. Being honest about how she feels. Yeah, ooh, I like that. I did not consider that with this scenario, but yeah, being honest about how she feels regarding having an exit. Katie has a lot of goals. Katie um, is not a bad client <laughs> to have on your caseload when you're considering transitions um, as compared to, I know, other more challenging cases that we face um, because overall she is pretty compliant with her meds, with her treatments, um, plans. Um, and she is housed, which is huge, right? That is one of the biggest barriers and obstacles, of course, that we all face with trying to support our clients into permanent stability. Um, and she is um, vocal um, about how she feels. And um, sometimes we have clients who just aren't and, um, you know, we have to deal with ambivalence and, and then really use our MI skills. So Katie's very straightforward and just letting you know. Yeah, ability to self-advocate and open to learning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And last question, which phase of CTI do you think Katie is ready to engage in? So I'll go back to our phase slide, if you need that refresher. So which phase of CTI is Katie ready to engage in? So I see a phase three here, I see phase two, the tryout phase. Okay, interesting. We have some differences of opinion, two or three. Mm. Okay, so can I have someone who feels that she's in phase two just briefly summarize real quick? Why do you think she's in phase two? I I think it's fair to say that, as you mentioned, right, we most of us are going to have that natural kind of apprehension um, and natural fear. And um, it's a part of the client termination process to kind of anticipate, all right, client is going to express um anxiety around <laughs> the unknown because they've been in a, a very known environment receiving services for the last three, four years. Um, and I would argue personally that, you know, that can still fall under phase three um, because certain, while I hear what you're saying, she, you feel that maybe she's not ready yet. She has to want it more than you want it. Um, I let me go back to her scenario. I get the sense for Katie that she's ready um, 
but there could just be some uh, anxiety, just an apprehension around just the unknown. So I would work with her around uh, acknowledging, um, you know, what that anxiety is. Um, and, you know, let's, you know, kind of work together to minimize some of that and um, have a little bit more of some controls in place uh, for you to feel more comfortable about exiting. Um, but could fall under phase three. No argument there. I mean, it could be a phase two as well. Um, yes. You want to share phase three? Yeah, I'm going to ask. I was going to ask. Um, clients will never leave if we don't push them out sometimes. Sure. Sure. I mean, we do have that situation. Sometimes clients just sit on our on our caseloads and, um, you know, some of the uh, motivation for this training is to kind of consider that, have that in the back of your mind, like, wait, why are these clients, you know, kind of maybe still here on the caseload? Um, maybe they have reached phase two and we just haven't um, collectively identified that yet. And um, let me see, let's see how we can support them um, to, to uh, transitioning intentionally. Um, yeah, we are, sorry, we're at time now. Um, uh, thank you though for, for joining, for participating. I hope that you, I took away a lot from you all. I hope you were able to take away the same.